Our second reading uh, this morning is from John, and it's John chapter 20 and verses 10 to 18. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. Thank you, Cameron. Well, we certainly have reached a wonderful part of the history of Jesus Christ and, uh, and his uh, crucifixion, his burial, and now he has risen. And that is the text this morning, he is risen. What a glorious morning that would have been. Think about how that would have been for you. We could try to establish, of course, in our minds, which day is the most important day. Was that maybe the day that Jesus was born as a man? Or maybe it was the day that he actually died on the cross and paid for our sins. Is that today? Or is it this day in history, the day of his resurrection, the first Sunday? It is, of course, quite possible as we look and consider the, the timeline of salvation and the plan, maybe this what we call the big day, the, the, the most important day. Maybe that's still to come. The fact is we have three more days that we need to consider in timeline of salvation. One, of course, will be 40 days from this day. That is when Jesus ascends into heaven to sit at the right hand of Father and makes it possible for then 10 days hence for Pentecost to be there and sending the Holy Spirit to earth to live and dwell in each and every one of us as believers. That is really also the time that we have fully revealed in our hearts that Jesus Christ is the Lord and our salvation. We could maybe also be fairly certain that the day of his eventual return, his second coming, will be understood to be the absolute and ultimate climax of everything that we've ever read in the Bible. That day is, after all, the one day that we all can truly proclaim, I am fully saved. Let us, however, not jump too far ahead of ourselves. We are still here. Let us pray now and seek that we understand what the text tells us 
today and what the resurrection means. Let us pray. Our loving Father, we do come before you that you may, through your Holy Spirit indwelling us, that he will open our hearts and our minds to your text that we will really understand what it means and how it should affect us. We pray this in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Let me, first of all, let me come back to what happened at the burial of Jesus. Last Sunday, I was pondering the question about where is the disciples in all this? Why had it been Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus that had to pluck up the courage to go to Pilate and ask for Jesus' body and then proceed then to bury him and no disciples in sight? I think we get a partial answer when we read today's passage. Uh, Peter and John, of course, uh, they had been there. They had seen the empty tomb. Uh, and even John writes in this gospel, he writes that he believed, but he also has this, uh, this uh, provisional thing that says that he didn't understand from Scripture what actually had happened around them. So he believed, but he kind of didn't understand it. We then told in verse 10 that the disciples went back to their homes. Um, it's almost as if they have this feeling of it's all done. It's all finished. We've lost. Uh, our teacher's gone, and we really don't know what to do or where to go. Uh, it's almost, uh, and I hate to say it, it's almost as if the disciples' faith and hope had died as well because they really didn't know what was going on. The two boys are gone from the tomb, but Mary is still there. She's just simply too grief-stricken to, and stays there behind. In verse 11, we read that. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over and looked into the tomb and saw the two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the foot. It's quite obviously from this text anyway that Peter nor John had seen these two angels. It may well have been a particular and special blessing for Mary, and she's having this conversation with these two angels. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? Well, they have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. It, it would appear not totally inappropriate here to remind us what Jesus had told them previously. In chapter 16 in Matthew, she had told them, from then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and be raised on the third day. Not once. He had several times told them this will happen. And this is the third day. This is Sunday morning. It is also effectively the day, the Lord's day, changes from Saturday to Sunday. And Mary ought to have remembered, but I guess then if you think about it, you and I do also forget really important things, don't we? It's kind of a human thing to forget or not remember, should I say especially when you're in straight a lot of stress. You tend to, things skip your mind. 
But right throughout the Bible, we have been given all these little golden nuggets of information as to how we should live, how we should behave, and yet, well, anyway, I digress. See, in Mary's moment of utter distress, at this she turns around and sees Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he says, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Well, she's certainly not alone in this issue. The two disciples later in the day, as we read on the road to Emmaus, also did not recognize Jesus when he walked with them, next to them, talked to them. And what these two disciples said may then cast some light on the mindset of the people at this time, including Mary. In Luke 24, they're telling Jesus, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. That's what they have in their heads. They don't expect Jesus to be there. The disciples had not fully understood all the things they had been taught. They still, at this late stage, I mean, they walked with Jesus for over three years. At this stage, they still had this idea in their head that this world is the one which Jesus would be their king. But now he was dead, dashing all their hopes. And with that, it seems also he has dashed even their faith. And that brings us to a question of Mary, a question which maybe also should touch you and I. Is her hope and her faith has taken a serious battering by his death, then what is she doing at the gravesite? There's no doubt it's due to the third element that we hold to when we think of Jesus. There is the hope, there is the faith. But this is the third element, that is love. She truly loved Jesus, and she had shown her love for Jesus all the way through his ministry. She was caring for him and indeed ministering to him. And she's now back here to anoint his body. That's the love she has for him. I think this is probably a wonderful text that should encourage all of us. I find that when life gets really rough and things seemingly and absolutely lose all rational thought, sometimes even my hope will diminish somewhat. It kind of takes a bit of a battering. I still try to hold on to the faith that tells me that God is in control and everything around us. And I keep telling people, well, last time I checked, God was still in control, and I keep saying that. But even then, it has a way of fading some days in my life. The one thing, however, that never fades, or at least should never, ever fade, is my love for Jesus, knowing what he had to go through, and my appreciating God's mercy and grace to me. That is what holds it, isn't it? I truly believe this is probably where Mary is at right now. And her love for Christ is indeed her driving force, as it should be for you and I. Reading on, thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, 
and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Kind of a strange thing here, Mary offering to go and find Jesus and take him away. This is the dead body of a man that has been put in with 75 pounds of herbs and spices. How would she ever try to carry Jesus in the first place? But that, of course, is not in her mind at all. It's just that she loves him. But we also remember that Jesus, speaking of himself as a shepherd in John 10, 4, he says, when he has brought out all his own sheep, he goes ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. This is the key here, what happens. He said, Mary. The instant Mary hears her name from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ, she is back with him. In this moment, her whole attention is focused on Jesus. She has in one instant moved from loving her Savior to have full faith and full hope again in him. And it wouldn't probably be too much to say that this was almost her resurrection moment as well. She had been given new life by the word of her name from the lips of Jesus, a new hope and possibly now a stronger than ever faith that she ever had. Paul certainly understood these three virtues, the faith, hope, and love. In 1 Corinthians 13, 13, he wrote about it. He said, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. That's what holds it all and binds it together. When we arrive at verse 17, we find ourselves in some difficult times. How are we really to understand verse 17? What Jesus is telling Mary here. She's giving him, he's giving her instructions. But let's read it. Verse 17. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm returning to my father and your father. I am returning to my God and your God. But when Jesus tells Mary, and of course through Mary and John's gospel, I'll assume he's also speaking to you and I in this, do not hold on to me, for I have not returned to the Father. It's almost as if that is what all the disciples had done, and they had suffered for it. They had lost faith, they had lost hope. When Jesus left them, left them on the cross, died. But what Jesus is saying is, I will still be going away again. I will still leave you, physically speaking. And you need to stay strong. You need to stay strong in your faith, in your hope. And even if I'm not with you in body, it's almost as Jesus, Jesus is speaking about a whole new type of relationship that we have with him from that moment on. If we had grasped anything from reading about him, about his suffering, about his death, about the purpose that that all has, namely our salvation, of course, then now that he has suffered, he has died, and he's now resurrected, we've been forgiven, the price has been paid, 
and we have been given new life in his resurrection. So, yes, of course, our relationship with him is a new relationship. It's different to what it was before. And Jesus also indicates from what he has said in verse 17 that I'm returning to my father and your father. I'm returning to my God and your God. The relationship Jesus has with the Father is radically different to your relationship with the Father and always will be. His relationship with God, the Creator, is also very different to the relationship you and I have with God. Paul alludes to this change in 2 Corinthians. He says, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. He is new, he's different, he's resurrected. The disciples have lived with the man Jesus, but now has, this has changed forever. As far as the difference in relationships between Jesus and God and what we have, we need to go no further than John 1.1. 1, 1 that truly comprehend the difference, what that means. It tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That is the difference between them and us. Again, our relationship will change even once more. Once Jesus returns, his second coming, he comes back to bring us home to be with God the Father and be with the Son in the kingdom of heaven. A truth worthy of taking notice of is also the change in the relationship we have, you and I have as brothers and sisters in Christ, the resurrected Christ. We know that all men and women are indeed what we call maybe the offspring of the creator God. But just as all men and women are not the children of God, this will also and should affect our relationship with each other through Christ. Jesus confirmed for us that not all men and women are children of God. Several places in the Bible we are told such. John 8, 44 speaks of it. You belong, he speaks to the, to the Pharisees of all people. You belong to the Father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, but there is no truth in him, Satan. To also expound on the reason our brotherly and sister relationship are different and indeed should be and very, very different once we are in Christ. We go to 1 John. He said, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. If you don't love Jesus, then you won't be with him. And in John 13, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The love that Jesus always speaks of is different love than what is natural for a human being. He has an incredible level of love that we even try to understand sometimes. We don't have to love each other just because we are told to do so, but simply because we actually do want to love each other because of him. 
because he loved us so, that he died for us while we were still sinners. This is also the love that drives Mary from the tomb to go to be with the other disciples. It is the will of Jesus that she goes at that point to them. And he told her at the tomb, didn't he? He said, go instead, tell my brothers. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had told her these things. Can you imagine? Can you imagine any news bigger than this? I have seen the Lord. This is, as you know, the same news we are in possession of upon receiving his Holy Spirit. You have seen the Lord. It is the time when you and I also see him. We see him in scriptures. We see him in our hearts. The instructions to go to the brothers and tell them all this wonderful news was merely the beginning with Mary. Jesus expanded on that notion to go and tell my brothers and sisters. He, he expands on it in Matthew 28. We all know it. We should know it. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. The great commission from Jesus to you. Mary went to the brothers with the best news ever out of love of her Savior. We should store this up, this sort of stuff should be stored in our hearts and we should relish the truth of these words. I have seen the Lord and connect them with this. Now, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Well, brothers and sisters, he is risen. And for the love of Christ, go and tell someone. I've seen the Lord. May he bless you as you go out from here. Let us pray. Our loving Father, we do come to you. This is the most wonderful part of the Bible where we read of the new life and new hope and the resurrected Lord Jesus. May these things dwell deeply, deeply in our hearts and may it drive drive our faith and hope, and drive our servant attitude towards you, Lord. May this all be for the glory of you, and may it indeed be a time where we are very much part of your ministry to this world that so dearly needs you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.